today, gosh, if you came expecting like a nice little sermon, you're not, it's not, it's not, okay? Um, we're gonna do just a little bit of a Bible study and then we're gonna get to what I'm really trying to get to. Um, if you're taking notes today, this conversation is just gonna be titled House of Prayer. Um, my heart, I, mean, I could cry any moment, see, that's why I didn't make that my resolution. <laughs> I'm already ready. Um, I, God is stirring my heart for this family. Um, we need God, don't we? I mean, don't we really need him? <laughs> like, how cute is it that at one point in my life, I used to think like, yep, went to church, read my Bible every day. I'm doing good like ignorant to like the Holy Spirit's relationship with my soul, ignorant to God's like just presence that is leading me one minute at a time because he knows that's exactly what I need because I don't know what 10 minutes from now is even gonna look like in this world. And I, my heart, I think God has been ministering to my heart uh, for my sake, but also on your behalf that, I want this to be, I'm, I'm, I'm praying and, and, and diligently asking God that this would be a space where the Holy Spirit has free reign to move in your life. If God's not real, we're insane. Why don't we stop? Is that fair? If God is not real, let's, this, I don't wanna be here. It's awesome if you wanna be here, but I, I, I have other things I can be doing, right? I could devote Sundays to physical fitness because I've been neglecting that Monday through Saturday, right? Like I could do anything. But if God is real, ah, your, your soul does not need our worship set to be ordered just right and, and perfectly in line with the theme of the sermon so it all forms one cohesive narrative and at the end of it, you're going, whoa, I get it. That can help. That can assist you and aid you and that's actually our goal every week, whether you knew that or not, if you didn't know our fault. But I, I'm just so aware, the soul, the anxious soul needs the living God to minister. The worried heart needs the living God to minister. And my prayer is that we find ways in this family to create enough space that we don't interrupt when the Holy Spirit is attempting to minister to your soul in a way that only the Holy Spirit can minister to your soul. And so I wanna start with just a brief Bible study that will be broken. I, I'm, I'm gonna dig into some like of the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And let me tell you something, that is not waters I'm just like the most comfortable with. Um, we're gonna do what we can. So if you've got a Bible, first we're gonna open up to a gospel. So that's a little easier, Mark chapter 11. Um, and uh, we're gonna start in verse 15. Have you ever heard the term uh, righteous anger? Um, have you ever gotten mad and then been like, was that holy or not, you know? You ever tried to justify your anger? Like, no, that, when I threw my phone because the Titans lost, God, 
Where were you in that? Because I know that was, that was with you. You were involved, right? Show me why that was a holy act, right? Like when I got really short with my partner and my spouse, like show me why that was Holy Spirit-led and not just me being arrogant, right? Like this term righteous anger, I'm about to take you to the scripture where we, most of us got the idea that it's even possible to be very upset and not in sin, all right? We're gonna look at a story where Jesus is righteously indignant. Is that the right word? He's angry, he's upset, all right? He's gonna be, in the temple courts. And this passage is honestly more rich than I even understood. Even as Jesus talks, what he's saying is so potent and powerful. And anyway, let's just get it. I just wanna do a quick Bible study and start praying. All right, that's what we're gonna do. Okay. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, okay? It says, and they came to Jerusalem, Jesus and the squad, the disciples, they came to Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers? We'll explain that quote. And the chief priest and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching And when evening came, they went out of the city. Uh, Verse 18 is a nice little hint that you have righteous anger. Uh, As he tossed tables and yelled and and made kind of a ruckus in the midst of a a temple where that doesn't really happen, the crowds were astonished. They took note of it. They paid attention to it. They didn't get scared. They were like, what's going on? This seems important, right? I wanna break this down. In Matthew chapter 21, we have the same account um, where Jesus is in the temple. And it says that after all that happened, that the blind and the lame came to Jesus. So after he flipped some tables, threw the change everywhere, got the animals and the humans out of there, like the blind and the lame came to him and Jesus healed them. I didn't know that detail. Uh, And I, I always just remember that he got mad and threw stuff around. But right after people come and receive healing from Jesus, which is pretty awesome. In verse 15 of Matthew 21, it says that children cried out, Hosanna, to the son of David, they proclaim Jesus as their rescuer. So don't miss it. After Jesus's righteous temper tantrum, salvation happens, healing happens, really cool stuff. But there's some important details that I wanna just uncover. And I'm gonna keep looking at my notes because we're in straight Bible study mode. So here it comes. Um, Gentiles would make a pilgrimage to the temple. Uh, they They would try to come to the temple to come and meet the God of Israel. and and God was available. And then I read this from a commentary. Jesus encountered the buying and the selling going on in the temple courtyard. This was undoubtedly in the outer court of the Gentiles. We can nerd out about all the, the different elements of the temple later. But there was most likely a custom of selling sacrificial animals and exchanging various types of silver and copper money, like Persian, Syrian, Egyptian, Grecian, Roman, for temple coinage. So just exchanging currencies. This began as a convenience for pilgrims. The priest accepted only Tyrian, Tyrian, T-Y-R-I-N, 
Tyrian coins because of the purity of their silver. In other words, they were there to exchange currency so that people could buy sacrifices for a, a permissible price, not for profit, just so they could sacrifice before a holy God and have their sins atoned for, okay? And at some point, this convenient exchange turned from a help to those seeking to come to the temple to a hurdle and a hustle. People started profiting. People that wanted to come and make sacrifices, that had to make bargains, the people they were bargaining with started seeking profit, started making a business out of those trying to come and, and, and be with God. So it went from helping people worship to helping themselves acquire wealth. If you remember Jesus's words in Matthew 23, he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. In other words, you are not interested in the kingdom of God and simultaneously you are preventing those that want in the kingdom of God, that God has said, this is free to anyone who wants it. You are making it hard. You are making it expensive. You are making it impossible for them to access the God who says, come all who want me, right? And so this is this conflict. In John chapter two, this could be the same temple moment or even another temple moment, not sure, but it says that Jesus made a whip of cords I didn't dig into what that means, but it sounds aggressive. He drove the humans out along with sheep and oxen, not just pigeons. <laughs> I thought it, that market just including pigeons was a kind of a fun picture. Didn't picture like, you know, as Jesus is. So just imagine, I mean, hear it happening, tables. Like if you ever like been in a quiet room and someone drop an iPhone and it scares you, imagine an iPhone that weighed a lot heavier, right? And it just happening over and over again. People are like praying, they're in the middle of getting like an image. And then just the sound of coins just, just hitting the ground hard, tables flipping, people screaming like, what is going on in this place of prayer? It's, it's lit, like it's going down. At the end of John 2, it says the disciples remember this passage in Psalm 69 that says, zeal for your house consumed me. And they recognize that that passage in that moment is describing Jesus. It's Jesus's zeal for his house that is driving this anger. And when he says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. I didn't realize this until this week. That's actually quoting two different Old Testament passages. And can we get that slide up with all the scriptures? Um, if you're taking notes, these are all the scriptures we're gonna visit. First, he quotes Isaiah 56, verse seven. That's where he's saying the house of prayer for all nations. That's from Isaiah. Jeremiah 7, 1 through 11 is where we get the phrase den of robbers. I'm gonna dig into that. We're gonna nerd out real quick. Isaiah 56, 7 says this. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them... <laughs> Did y'all hear that? That was awesome. <laughs> um, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah 56 is a promise that the outsider, the non-Israelite, that the Gentile that wants to align their lives with God himself can do so freely. If they would just come before God. And so the temple of God in the Old Testament is this picture of God's invitation for anyone that wants to, to come and enter into his presence, okay? That's Isaiah 56. 
the Jewish people, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you get this feeling, and it's true, that the Jews are set apart from the world. I mean, you can feel the inclusive or the exclusivity when the Jews are Jews and the not Jews have a whole other name. They're Gentiles, right? So you feel Jews are like special, but the heart of that was to protect the people of God from becoming like the world, not to keep the world from becoming like God. Does that make sense? So somewhere along the way, that, in, that uh, it turned into exclusivity. It turned into like elitism. Oh, you're not a Jew. And, and they would separate themselves and they would be unwelcoming. And Isaiah 56 is referencing this. No, the temple of God, the presence of God is for everyone that wants it. And anyone that makes it difficult, anyone that makes it harder than it needs to be to come to God is completely missing the heart of God. That's in Isaiah. So when Jesus says, like, isn't it written, this temple that I am in, flipping tables in, is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. He's telling them a scripture they had memorized very well and illuminating that their heart had missed the point altogether. Does that not get a little more powerful all of a sudden? Like, He's not just going, this is supposed to be prayer for everybody. He's like going, hey, you know the Old Testament truth that this place is for anyone that wants God, okay? So that's why he references this word. Now let's go to Jeremiah 7, verses eight through 11, where it says, this is wild. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, and make offerings to Baal? That's a false god make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you've not known and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we're delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah 7 is condemning anyone that treats the temple as a place of just automatic forgiveness despite my unrepentant heart. It condemns the people from being willfully sinful and then coming into the temple and going, just because I stepped foot in here, we're all good. It reminds me of like that Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we sin more so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? God saves you. He, he, he calls you to have a repentant heart from all sin. And in Jeremiah, the southern kingdom of Judah, which is a part of the greater nation of Israel, has a people that is serving false gods, that is living lives of debauchery. But then they show up to the temple going, thank you, God, for your forgiveness. I'll see you next week. And God goes, hey, I, I'm, I see you. I see this heart. Willfully sinful and thinking just because you're standing here, you get forgiveness despite your unrepentant heart, your cold heart that does not know me and that does not seek to obey my ways. And so it's this warning. And so when Jesus says the phrase, den of robbers, make no mistake, the people hearing it, hear it. I see you. The God who sees all sees the heart in which you are living in. And make no mistake, he's not pleased. Your willful sin, your willful ignorance to the ways of God, to the heart of God, you're neglecting what the temple was always supposed to be about. Okay, this is where we're in Bible study, not sermon. I don't have like smooth transitions right now. 
out of that, what Jesus is against, what is leading him to be so angry? If we just stayed there at what makes him angry about this, we'd, that, that would get half of it done. But the second half, what he's against should tell us what God is for, what he wants the temple to be, okay? If he's against man creating hurdles that make it hard for people to come to God, then he's for anyone and everyone that wants to draw near to God, which is no shocker. You're in church, you get it. If he is against unrepentant lives, pretending that God is okay with it in his very house, then what he is for is God redeeming your daily life, sanctifying the human heart into his image, which leads to freedom and restoration and healing. He wants his presence to infuse your daily life. He does not want this space to be compartmentalized. Oh, this is where we worship and we embrace God's love. And tomorrow is where I serve myself and live in debauchery with no repentance, right? Remember, John 2, everything Jesus is doing is out of zeal for the church, is out of what could be. I wasn't planning on sharing this. Let's see. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where what could be and what is is so different and it breaks your heart. There's a family that's having really significant marital issues. And um, I... I love them very much. And it's so frustrating to see what could be and then to see their choices when they refuse repentance, when they refuse forgiveness, even if it really is the other person's fault, they just choose not to forgive. And you watch the devastation, you watch the consequence on the children, you see the implications you see the scars forming. I mean, they're open wounds, but you know that's not gonna go. In 10 years, they're still gonna remember that moment. That's gonna be there forever. And that's where the anger comes from, right? Because you're like, oh, but you don't understand. You're like a forgiveness away from finding redemption in your marriage. You're a forgiveness away from your kids seeing a, a, a happy set of parents and, and seeing a marriage worth like trying to model as they get older. Like you're, you're so close but what you're choosing is bringing desolation, it's bringing brokenness, it's bringing pain, it's bringing literal trauma to their little brains. It feels merciless and that's, the anger is produced because of what could have been. And so when Jesus is angry, don't get too fixated on his anger, get focused on what does he think could exist that this is so disappointing to him. This is so infuriating that he can't even just like give a metaphor and talk about it. He's got to flip tables and go, I'm getting your attention. This is not okay. Because what could be for anyone that steps foot in this place, what you're doing is preventing it. And out of that, I am angry because I'm so zealous for what could happen. God's presence can minister. It can heal. It can forgive it can bring unity. Republicans and Democrats, even in 2022, can hold hands and weep and pray healing and walk in unison, find commonality. And we live in such a world of brokenness that that sounds, I know how I sound insane for even saying that out loud. The house of God, when the Holy Spirit is ministering, can be so wonderful 
It's a place where people can draw near and experience a healing that only the Holy Spirit can do. And I started asking myself, I'm sorry for if this is fragmented and scattered. It feels like that to me right now. But I kind of just asked myself, Jesus, when you walk, if you were to like walk in the ruby and don't picture like in a robe and a sash, like make them modern, you know, put some skinny jeans on them. Are skinny jeans still in? I don't even actually, I don't know if it's, no, I, a few of y'all said. <laughs> yes, if you're wearing them, no, if you're not. All right, uh, no. Um, but what would he see? What would he think, you know? And I know God, I know you're here. I, so it's not even like that big of a imaginative process. But if Jesus walked in, what would he see? And would he feel irritated or frustrated? Would he feel like, oh, shoot, you're, you're accidentally or willfully being stumbling blocks to people that want me? Or would he feel familiar? Or would he feel like I've, I'm here every Sunday? This isn't my first Sunday here. I started thinking like, Jesus, when you're here, what do you feel? What do you see? When you see our people here and you think about the outsider trying to come in, does it feel like they have easy access to the presence of God? Are they seeing a people open to the Holy Spirit? Are you seeing a people willing to lay down selfish motives, selfish ambition to sacrifice their lives for whatever their Father in heaven wants, anything, open hands, open posture? Are you seeing repentant hearts or stubborn hearts? Hearts that self-obsess or hearts that pray for their neighbor? Like, what do you see? And I wanted to start this year off praying, praying for our church, praying and asking God, God, what could be? Out of your zealousness for your church, what do you want to see happen here? I've been challenged by our, our order of worship lately. The, the idea that, you guys don't know this, but 903, soft welcome. Hey, good morning, Bibles, bathrooms. 907, hard welcome. Hey, we're gonna get started with worship. Talk to someone around you. Worship, teaching, process, communion, worship. On your way out, a few things to remember. See you guys next week. And a picture I saw in my head was if someone was like worshiping, before the teaching, they're like, and the Holy Spirit started ministering to their heart, telling them something, and you start listening, and you're like talking to God, and he's just ministering to you, and you're, and you're listening, and you're having dialogue. And then all of a sudden, this voice in a distance gets louder and louder. Hey, good morning. Hey, you guys can be seated. My name's Joshua. Welcome to the Ruby. Isn't that a sad picture? <laughs> I hate the thought of my voice interrupting what God is doing in your soul. I don't think I'm sinful when I do that, but it's the picture I got. And I've just been challenged. I've been like, God, I, I want to open up a lot more space for you to do what you do. I don't want to talk about what you do. I want you to do it, you know? I don't want us to be like, oh, that's right, God does that. I want us to be like, oh, God's doing that right now as I, as I sit. Let the children come. <laughs> Seriously. Um, 
<laughs> it's not a joke. Um, and so I have an idea. Uh, it's actually not so much an idea as a thing that's absolutely gonna happen. On January 30th, for at least the month of February, uh, January 30th and the whole month of February, uh, we're gonna move to a 10 a.m. gathering. The nine and 11 are gonna merge. And from nine o'clock to 9.45, this is gonna be a space for prayer. And uh, I'm gonna give you more details later, but I sense the Holy Spirit telling me to make this space a place of prayer, that worship will remain stale, will remain awkward as you guys have felt that it is when our hearts have not been locked into worship. If you worship God in your heart and soul, in your car, in your home, then it's not hard to come here and, and worship your guts out. It's not hard. But if we just show up at nine and then in eight minutes we just start singing and it feels stale and awkward, it's like, oh, okay. We need to lock in with the Holy Spirit a little bit more so that we can worship. I don't know, scripture says that we're co-ministers, like that we, we all have gifts that we're meant to minister to each other. And I'm done. I'm, I, I want God, I, I, want to, I want us to sit quietly enough, long enough for God to heal your soul. I can talk to you about putting your phone down, about praying for your neighbor. We can talk about calendar, priorities, different personalities, your next steps, and we're gonna do that. I wanna help equip you and resource you until I'm no longer called to be here, but I cannot be God for you. And I do think God wants to be God for you <laughs> and that God wants to minister to your soul. And so we're gonna have prayer. And I, I really want you to come at nine o'clock. I don't want you to see it as a thing that, uh, and you can come whenever you want. You can come at nine, you can come at 9.30, I don't care. But I want this to be a space where you go, God, if you're real, uh, we're gonna find you and you're gonna find us and we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna hang out. And you know, if you're uncomfortable with prayer, we're gonna help you. I'm already seeing like a little table, Bible, journal, pen, devotional prompts, scripture cards. I won't be on the mic talking to you about prayer. We're literally just gonna be praying, but we'll find ways to help you pray. I already have, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm really externally processing in front of you. Let's, uh, let's reel that back. <laughs> I'm about to just start brainstorming. What do you guys think about this and this and this? Um, but I, I think the Lord really wants to make this place a sweet space where you can know that when you come here, God's gonna speak to you. And you won't have to wonder or, or consider your theology about God's nearness to your soul. You'll just, he'll just be near and that'll be it. And so you don't have to explain it or, or tell someone a New Testament passage that proves that he's real. You'll just be living with the spirit. I believe that, that God wants prayer to be a thing that you just do. Um, and his yoke is easy. And I don't know about, woo! I heard it three seconds later, saw some faces. It was like, that was a baby doing that. Um, but I believe that the Holy Spirit, or that prayer, the yoke is easy with Jesus. And doesn't prayer feel hard? It doesn't have to. And I believe that Jesus, just as I walk here and can just go, God, I, just, I pray for my marriage, sanctify it, help me to be a servant to my wife, and I just move on. And I'm just ebbing and flowing. God, me and Alex and my discipleship of him, give me discernment. How do I pray for this man? How do I help him grow in you, Jesus? Is there anything he needs? Is there a scripture for him? Okay, and I'm moving on and I'm keeping going. And I'm not going, oh, oh it's 8 a.m. I gotta go to the table, make the coffee, get the Bible, do it perfect. Like, 
oh, 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 I got distracted, I failed. Like, no, the Holy Spirit has so much more ebb and flow with you. I think God wants you to know that he's just with you in step. That he's not like, you've really been missing it, haven't you? Woo. All right, come on. We'll train you up good. We'll get you to be a good Christian, all right? I think he wants to just live with you, love on you, lead you, heal you, like be your shepherd. And anyway, I'm gonna stop explaining processing. I really am this time. So I wanna pray. I wanna pray a lot more this year. I want this to be a house of prayer. Next week, I wanna talk about how uh, the miracle that no longer does God just abide in a physical temple, but that we are now temples and that we are houses of prayer as well. And that's gonna be pretty fun too. But for now, this morning, I'm gonna ask us to take, it's somehow 10.06. How did I talk that long? My little, it's gonna be 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, right. Um, let's take some time to pray right now. I want you to pray for our church to pray that God would just lead us and be our shepherd in whatever ways he wants, that if it fits our preconceived notions, great, and if it doesn't, great, that the Holy Spirit would just lead us. So I'm gonna pray, be quiet, and I'm just gonna ask you to pray. If you feel led to pray out loud, pray out loud, and then uh, let's just pray, y'all. I'm seriously so done talking. God, I, I just ask that this, that this space, as long as these people gather here, this is a church, and I ask that, would you uh, expand our minds, expand how we understand who you are, expand, God, how we think about prayer. And for those that get stressed, get anxious thinking about prayer and trying to connect with you, Lord, heal that. Will you heal that, Lord? Redeem our picture of prayer, redeem what we think can happen when we still ourselves before the Father. God, will you alleviate any pressures that sit on people's shoulders to sound like other people when they pray or to have the spiritual gifts that others have or even to be the person they think they're supposed to be that you're not asking of them? Heal that, God. Holy Spirit, will you minister to this church? Will you grant us a miracle, a revival in prayer? Pray for this year. I pray that when December rolls around, it'll come quicker than we know that in December, we look back and we know that your presence, your living presence has been firmly in the midst of this space. Pray for our church. If you want to pray out loud, go for it. Grow us, Lord, and uh, help us to be family here. I pray, God, that, that one day it'll be effortless for someone to walk across from one side of the building to the other side to just pray over a brother or sister, to intercede on their behalf, to minister. I pray that one day it, it's not only hoped for, but it's expected that this is a space where you heal. I 
I believe that, uh, that one day us praying in freedom is gonna be the most normal thing about us. And it's not normal yet, right? Because even as I said, hey, just if you feel led, pray out loud and, and everyone stayed here and no one moved and that's all perfect. That's, that's exactly what I would do if I were in that seat. But one day, I really believe that prayer is gonna be so natural here, so easy. And uh, I want you to commit to praying for this church and asking God in humility, will you lead this church? And will you lead us in prayer? And will you grow us, God? If this is what you want, if, if your house is to be a house of prayer, then will you help us be the house of prayer you wanna see? And I've asked Sarah, to, who's holding Marlo, Son of Marlo, son of Gentry and Taylor, um, like a scripture. All right, Sarah, just, Sarah's gonna pray over our church and then we'll go um, grab communion and then uh, we'll worship. Thank you, Sarah. All right, um, you can stand. Um, you can stand and if you want, go ahead and stand now. Um, we've got communion. Uh, it looks like at three different tables. If you wanna just grab communion, um, from these tables, go for it, and we'll take it together as a church. Dawe and Ariana will, will lead us.